All right, guys, welcome to Person About Town. Now we're presented by Women in Comedy Festival, so get on board with that. Subscribe to their podcast. This time we're not in Boston, uh, and the guest is going to tell you where we are and who he is. Hey, thank you for having me. We are in New York City in the East Village. My name is Mike Lemmy. I'm a comedian, and I got uh, 15 shows coming up at the Under St. Mark's Theater in New York City. So right now we are in the East Village. Why would you say that this part of town, and specifically the theater, are your favorite parts? This part is all about um, just grinding it out to make something happen for yourself. So the East Village is a very, very art scene, even with all the uh, all the crazy things happening in New York, all the corporations moving in. New York, uh, East Village in New York is still like people struggling to make it as an artist. So like to do 15 shows in the East Village is kind of like trying to build credibility as a performer and as a writer because it's all about trying to work your way up. So how did you think of that concept? Like I haven't seen anyone else buy out a theater for 15 shows straight and then just they're going for it and they're you seem to be doing most of it yourself like how did that happen yeah so it's um there are people that do it but they're successful people like that's the key is like i am not successful so i'm doing like the opposite um we were just talking about this like look at people who accomplish things that you want to accomplish and do it on a much smaller level like that's uh mike perbiglia said that in an interview one time i'm obsessed with mike perbiglia like i want to do everything he's doing (laughs) so he always said like just look at who you want to be and do what they're doing on a smaller level so i um i got a publicist and like a music booker i mean i have different musicians every single night so it's kind of like assembling a team but like um my publicist isn't an actual publicist she's just someone that's interested in publicity so it's just finding someone that like has an interest similar to yours and then like bring them on so like if i was trying to do this as like a very very professional run it'd be way more expensive like i'm already spending a ton of money on it but like the fact that i just found people that are interested and want to like build credibility for themselves it's been like a really helpful um thing to do yeah so how many seats are in the theater that you're selling yeah so there are 50 seats um and uh they're all available so hey come on out uh we're still we're chipping away at that total so i got um i think overall for 15 shows there's gonna be like 700 seats available or something like that so we're just chipping away uh every day to um get that number down that's a very small intimate space so even if we get like 10 15 people in there it's gonna feel packed so the publicists that you hired what are some of the things that they're doing to increase your ticket sales and really get the word out so publicist uh lauren rosie shout out to her shout out to rosie um she basically her job is to give myself confidence kind of <laughs> so like she created this uh this press kit for me this uh this press release and she's emailing people about doing interviews and getting listed on different blogs and stuff like that but basically her main job is just to, like to tell me like this is a cool thing that you're doing <laughs> have confidence in it like we have a, a google doc of the the press release that we're doing so if i edit something she'll always go back and re-edit it to make it more like not fun but more uh confident you know just changing the worst because as comedians we're always like self-deprecating we're like oh we don't we don't deserve this blah 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 and she just goes back and like makes it more exciting and more like this is the thing you want to do because I do believe you want to come see these shows Mm -hmm. but as someone that's like so self-deprecating like sometimes that comes across in like a press release so just edit that and make it uh make it more uh more lively I guess yeah and so you aren't from New York. Do you want to tell the listeners like where you're from and how you got started in comedy? Yes, yes. I am from Chicopee, Massachusetts, um, small, kind of a small town in Western Mass. And I, uh, I moved to New York City right after college. Um, I've been here for about four years. And I got into comedy 
Uh, I used to watch my brother watch reruns of Conan O'Brien. So I watched my brother watch this because like I didn't understand what was happening. So I'd watch Conan do his monologue and that kind of encouraged me to like start telling jokes. I did a a talent show at my middle school, eighth grade talent show. And then uh, I would do it like once a month in Western Massachusetts. Then I would move out to Boston for college. I started doing it more out there. And then when I moved to New York, I started doing it like try to do it every single night. So just working your way up in levels. Did you move to New York to do comedy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I knew after college I want to go to L.A. or New York, and it so happened that I, I got a job on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I was an assistant on that for a while. Okay. So it just worked out that I would move. Uh, I moved, like, two months after I graduated college. Nice. So did you have, like, a film and TV background? Is that how you got on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Well, yeah, I majored in communications, but my the cool thing about the college I went to is we could do an internship in New York and an internship in L.A. Oh, cool. So, like, my two best semesters in college, I was not on campus. Like, I, I, only, I only, like, uh, promote this college based on the internships you can go get. So, um, when I was in college, I interned for Jimmy Fallon, and I interned for Conan O'Brien. Oh, wow. So, that kind of established myself as, like, going into the TV industry, even though I didn't major in that. Um, but just having those internships were well worth, like, the, the amount of student loan debt I'm in. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> like I look at that debt, you know, like, you know, those internships are worth it because it gave me a lot of uh, great experience. Okay. And do you find that you use that experience in what you're doing, either in your day job or in comedy? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, like, I'm trying to adjust. In the day job I'm at now, I stopped working on TV because it was taking up too much time. Yeah. So it was like nine-hour days, and you had no time to go do stand-up at night. Mm-hmm. So now I've been temping for the past uh, two years, and it's just like it's an easy job. All I have to do is just go in there. I do uh, just the basic amount of work, <laughs> yeah. and then I go out and have enough time to do comedy at night. Um, but basically it's just like sending out emails all day and trying to like get on stage as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And those shows kind of show me like where those shows taught me like where I want to be eventually. Like yeah. I would love to get a job writing on one of those shows and then doing stand up at night. So just to know that it's possible is like very eye opening to see nice. that it's realistic, you know? So what were some of the adjustments that you had to make moving from Massachusetts to New York? Um, the adjustments I had to make from Massachusetts to New York is um, just getting out of my comfort zone, I guess, because I'm very comfortable being uh, quiet and awkward, kind of. <laughs> so that's like that's that's that kind of hurt me when I was going to Boston a lot, because um, when I would go out to the comedy studio or go out to do some open mics, I would just do my spot and kind of like take off. Yeah. But the key is like you got to hang out, you got to be social, you got to get to know people, and that's what New York City has taught me. It's like. Um, you could be the funniest person ever, but if no one knows you, then it doesn't, then it doesn't matter. So right. just like breaking out of your shell is like a huge um, part of movement to New York. So that's interesting. You, you say that you're like kind of shy and awkward. Uh, and I know that is the case with a lot of comedians, but also audiences don't necessarily assume that about you. Like what does uh, comedy allow you to say or kind of how it allows you to be a person? What about that appeals to you? Um, just the fact that you can talk about anything you want, pretty much, is because I come from um, a town where no one really talked about their problems. Mm-hmm. Like the suburbs of Massachusetts, no one's no one's revealing anything about themselves. Right. So the fact that you can see comedians just talk about the most open and honest and raw stuff, but if you can find a way to make it funny, then everyone's on board with it. Yeah. So the fact that it's just like open to whatever you want to do is um, is such a big difference from where I come from to like just getting on stage and having that opportunity to to talk about everything. Nice. So 
in addition, this is like a massive detour. In addition to the 15 show run that you have under St. Mark's, you also have a show in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about that? Yes. So uh, me and my buddy Chris Post, hilarious comedian, uh, we run a show at Gallery 263. It's this art gallery in Cambridge. We do it every month. It's called Off Mic. We don't use a microphone. So it's, a, it's like a super intimate experiment. And it's basically we get like, 20 audience members in there. It's a very, very tiny, um, tiny art gallery. There's different art every single month, so you kind of have to work your way around that when you're doing uh, stand-up. And then we have a different musician every single month too. So it's kind of uh, take away everything. There's there's not a lot of music. There's um, there's uh, no microphone. So it's just you gotta depend on the jokes. So if the jokes work, then you know it works. If it doesn't, then it's, it gets uncomfortable. Nice. So you gotta you gotta keep rewriting everything, and that's a good challenge every month. I try to go out there and do like 20 minutes each show to like challenge myself to keep working on that longer set. Okay. So wait, how long are the sets you're going to be doing at Under St. Mark's? I'm going to do an hour. I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready to do an hour, but that's a challenge. And that's why I'm keeping tickets so low. It's, um, tickets are $5, and yeah. it's, it's me, and then you get a different musician every night for doing like 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do the same hour every single night. It's um, kind of a, an apology to my family about making fun of them for the past, like, 10 years. Okay. So for, for a long time, I, I blamed my parents for how bad my childhood was. And then, like, moving to New York taught me that, like, it wasn't really my parents' fault. It was kind of the location we grew up in. Yeah. The fact that no one knew how to talk about their problems. So this show is all about, like, kind of like a love letter to New York and also an apology to my parents. So it's, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of material I can put into that hour. I just I'm not used to doing an hour on stage. Nice. So, like, I know I have the content. It's just, like, memorizing it and rehearsing everything. Yeah, so where are you rehearsing? Like, in New York, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of venues where you can just come in and do an hour. No, no, no. So that there's... Um, um, the monthly show at um, Gallery 263 has been helping me, but that's still only like 20-minute spot. So what I do is I'll, I'll break it off into chunks and work at it at like shows or open mics. Mm-hmm. But I also uh, rehearse it every single night at my day job. Oh, wow. So the key, one of the keys to surviving in New York, if you want to be a performer, is get a job that gives you a key card. Like they trust you enough to give you a key card. <laughs> so I'll, um, I'll work from 9 to 6, then from 6 to 8 or 9, I'm trying to get on stage somewhere. Mm-hmm. Then for the past month from like 9 to 1 a.m., I'll go back to the office and I'll rewrite everything and I'll rehearse it. So just saying things out loud can make you like, because if you have the comedic timing already down, yeah. if you just if you just recite it, then you know like where the beats are and what can be changed. Mm-hmm. So it's just talking it out, try to find like a, a window that you can see yourself in, like yeah. there's no mirror. So just like <laughs> get doing that every night and trying to figure it out, timing it, timing it and rewriting and rehearsing it. Okay. So what do you hope will be the result of this? The the result I want is uh, just to build some credibility. Like I want to get some people out to review the show, hopefully get some good quotes, and also start to build a, a fan base. So get email addresses after every show. I'm going to record a, I'm gonna record pretty much every Saturday show, so hopefully I'll turn that to an album or something like that. Okay. But it's all about building that credibility. Like I'm kind of doing the opposite of what guys like, uh, what performers like Mike Birbiglia does. Like he's already established, and this right. is just building his credibility. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty much at the bottom starting to establish it. I'm trying to use these shows to like build a fan base and build credibility for myself. Given that you spend so much time, because like you describe like a very tight schedule, like work, shows, back to work to rehearse. Like, when do you make time for like personal stuff? 
that's the challenge. Like, that's what I want to do after these 15 shows is like my goal. Another one of my goals is like after these shows, I don't want to talk about my family on stage anymore. Mm -hmm. And by not talking about them, it will force me to have more life experience. Because right now I'm only going on dates like two or three times a month. I, I go out with my friends maybe like once, uh, like one weekend out of the month or something yeah. like that. Other than that, it's just all comedy all the time. So um, by getting all this material out of my system, it will force me to like go out more to like have more things to talk about. Okay. Wait, how old are you? I'm 26. Okay. Yeah, it's like you have time to uh, get all that life. Everyone's been telling me that for years. Yeah. Every, for years, everyone's like, you're so young, you got time. But, like, that's running now. You got to, like, you got to make it happen now. Yeah. I, I don't want to be 30 years old and talking about my mommy issues still, you know? You yes, that makes sense. <laughs> I get that. So, wait, um, what – I'm in the process of moving to New York. What are some of, like, the weirdest things you've encountered since you started living here? The weirdest things I've encountered um, – I lived with a married couple I found on Craigslist for a year and a half. Okay. It was weird at first, but then they started to feel like a family. So that was interesting. They were uh, karate instructors in Queens. Okay. So they had like samurai swords and nunchucks all over the apartment. They had a one-eyed cat. Mm-hmm. Was the cat one-eyed based on all of these weapons? No, I, don't, I didn't ask. Okay. That might be, that actually makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. Um, but I, uh, just the fact that I went from living with all my friends in college to living with a random couple I found on Craigslist, yeah. it took a little while to adjust to that, but eventually they started to feel like a family and they actually like cared about what I was doing, probably because I pay them, uh, every month. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was weird. And just like, I've been temping at the same spot for two years. Mm-hmm. So you think at some point they'd be like, Hey, do you want to do this full time? But you're like, you know what, yeah, d- keep, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Um, and then just finding out how long you can survive off of dollar pizza, like dollar pizza and falafel and hummus like that is that is uh because i still i haven't learned how to cook really well because i'm always like as soon as i as soon as i wake up in the morning i want to leave my apartment and like try to accomplish something so i don't want to come back to my apartment until i sleep so it's just figuring out a way to like make things work on a very small budget is like um i mean obviously you see like crazy things on the train every day but that's kind of like now we we focus on like i saw a guy shit his pants once which was which was hilarious I, I can't even imagine, like, what was the thing that let you know that he was shitting his pants outside of, like, the smell that resulted from it? So it was one of those situations where it was, uh, it was rush hour, and on the train, if there's an empty car on the train, don't get on that empty okay. car. Because I was about to get on it, and then the doors open, I saw this guy just sitting in the corner seat, white pants on, just covered in shit. <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, you run off into the next car, and everyone sees you because they they went through the same thing. So they all laugh at yeah. they're laughing at you because they just went through that yeah, too. Yeah. It's a very com- it's like a shared experience in New York. It's just like uh, every time you see something ridiculous on the train, if you walk to the next car, <laughs> like twenty people already saw that, so they're all like smile when you get on. They're like, yeah, you saw that shit yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. That weird shit forms like relationships. Yeah, you bond <laughs> like, over yeah. that. Um, you'll bond over the weirdest things in the city just because it's so ridiculous that people live here and it's just that it brings people together like renting out a theater for 15 nights like that's actually like helped me meet a lot more people and it's led to more opportunities and the shows haven't even happened yet so like the fact that I invested in myself like moving to New York is an investment in yourself so it's just like finding different ways to, to create more opportunities out of that. So what is so right now we're not in under St. Mark's we're in a different theater but it's owned by the same people. So like what's the vibe they've created with both the theater that we're in at this moment and also under St. Mark's? Yes, so we are in the Crane Theater right now. It's about a 100 seat theater down the street from from under St. Mark's where I'm doing my shows and both of these theaters are owned by Horse Trade Theater Group 
and they are some of the most supportive people I've ever worked with in comedy or just in my life. Like, they're very, very open to trying different things. And um, if you go to their website, I think it's horsestraytheater.com, and um, they have a bunch of uh, unique shows that are happening. Like, they do solo shows, they do music shows, they do dance, they do... Um, they have a, a festival every year called the Frigid Festival, and that's um, you get five nights and you get to perform anything you want for like an hour. So you have to submit what you want to do, yeah. and if it uh, if it gets approved, which they usually approve a lot of things, then uh, you get the stage time for an hour, five nights. Um, it's a little expensive to rent out the place, but it's like it's super supportive because all the all the shows promote each other. You get to work with a publicist, and it's like a very very creative um, um, experiment. And um, it's fun because the Crane Theater and Understand Marks are these two, like, amazing venues in Manhattan. And it's all, like, when you walk in here, you feel, like, the grind and the, the grittiness of, like, yeah. trying to trying to create something good. Right. Do you get to see other shows here? Like, do you have to pay to see other shows here while you're in the process of, like, putting on a show yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should, you should pay. I mean, that's the thing. It's, like, you want to support all the artists. But right. sometimes if the show's too expensive, you can always... I always try to sneak in in the back just yeah. to, just to see everything, you know, because right. then if you get to know that performer, then then um, then you have another connection and another friend that you can like either bounce ideas off of or complain about like what, yeah. what's going on. So it's all about building that network, especially uh, people that don't do stand up. Like having stand ups as friends is amazing, but also like you want to branch out too and like meet other people in in the performing arts world, I yeah. guess, because they all have different skills that you can help each other out with. What are some of the performances, either comedy or non-comedy, that you've been like, wow, I'm so happy I've been able to see this since I live in New York? Um, they do a great open mic at the Under St. Mark's uh, Theater on um, Tuesday nights. Mm -hmm. And that's comedy, that's music, it's poetry, spoken word, whatever you want to do. And you don't realize how creative people in the city are until you see them just at an open mic. Like, it's just... Like you, you're always in your own head as a performer. Like you got to make this as good as possible. You got to keep rewriting this. But then you go out and you see someone. Um, there's this musician called uh, named Henry Black. Um, he's a great folk singer. And uh, I saw him at an open mic one night. I'm like, this guy is amazingly talented. Like I want to be as good as he is. Like with music, that yeah. it can be a comedy. So it's just like going to open mics and um, and uh, seeing different shows. I remember. Uh, when I interned for Conan, he did a week of shows at the Beacon Theater, mm -hmm. and just to be backstage at that and to stand on stage at the Beacon Theater while they're rehearsing is just such a cool experience. Yeah. So there's there's a ton there's tons of shows happening in New York every single night. So if you if you want to be social, you want to get out, you can experience something new that'll like kind of change your life and change your perspective on things. And uh, seeing Mike Birbiglia's shows were was uh, really eye opening too. So what makes you look up to Mike Birbiglia specifically? Um, just the fact that he grew up in kind of a small town in Massachusetts and he was doing stand-up in Boston and that he's now doing his own thing. Like, he, um, he built himself an audience based off of creating great material. So yeah. it's just like, now that he established himself with that, he created that mailing list and now he does these, like, solo shows and, um, he sends out emails and his fans are so dedicated that they'll send that email to their friends. Yeah. And the fact that he's able to transition that into, like, making movies now is is amazing. Like, I saw Don't Think Twice, and it was such a cool experience. And just the fact to know that it's possible without um, without trying to um, – you don't have to, you don't have to like, hang out at a comedy club every single night. You can, like, try to build your own thing. Yeah. So it's kind of like finding the balance between being social and also working hard on creating your own um, audience. Okay. 
and so in addition to doing comedy, like he was, I like the first time I heard of Mike Birbiglia, it was actually on This American Life, and so now he does movies and that sort of thing. Are those things that you'd be interested in doing? Like, do you want to go from comedy to potentially writing and directing films or doing one-man shows or those sorts of things? Absolutely, yeah. Right now, I just want to quit this day job. That's all I want to <laughs> do right now. So hopefully these 15 shows gives me the credibility to like get more opportunities as a stand-up. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like um, writing packets for submitting to shows. And like I, I want to do a play at some point. And uh, I got a couple scripts. Like I feel like every comedian has a few scripts they haven't finished. So yeah. it's just like writing sketches and stuff like that. So like you always want to have something in the uh, something ready to go if you have a meeting with somebody. And they're like, oh, you do stand-up. What else do you do? I'm like, yeah. oh, I... I got these sketches I wrote, I got the script, I'm, I'm trying to write this play, so it's always, um, stand-up's always going to be there, so it's also like trying to find different ways to be creative. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Uh, do you, do you want to talk about any of those scripts that you have in progress, or is it still yeah. close? Hey, I've been, I've been trying to write a script about this married couple I lived with on Craigslist. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if I want to turn that into like a play, or if I want to keep doing the script. Um, because they're just the most ridiculous people I've ever met, and uh, so I'm trying to work on that, but uh, right now it's like focusing on these 15 shows, trying yeah. to um, November 10th through December 4th is every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So once, de- once December 4th comes, I'll start to think about something else. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to hear more about like, how you grew up in a small town in Western Mass. Yeah, so... Um, and like how it informs your comedy. I feel safer in New York sometimes than I did back home. Like Why? People are... My, they, they get their minds blown when I, when I say that. Because um, you think the suburbs are safe only because you can't see in your neighbor's house. Like You don't know yeah. what's happening in your neighbor's house. So the fact that like no one knew it was okay to like talk about things just destroyed my my uh, any chance of having a normal childhood. Like my um, my mother suffers from like a, a horrible mental illness, and for a long time I I was making fun of that on stage because like the only person I knew who talked about mental illness was Eminem. So like, I was just yeah. listening to Eminem nonstop. <laughs> like I didn't know I loved my mom till like Eminem said he loved his mom. Like that's how oh, wow. deep that's how deep this shit goes. So uh, the fact that you go from a, a town that's all, like, people love those picket fences and those yards, but just it's too much privacy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want that much privacy in my life. Like, sometimes you want that much privacy, but, like, you get in your own head too much. Yeah. So, like, being in a big city kind of takes you out of your head at, at certain points of the day where you're just, you're just seeing random, you're seeing a guy shit his pants on the train, yeah. you're seeing people, like, renting out theaters to do solo shows. Like, there's there's so much more opportunity that, like, Back home in Massachusetts, you only saw that on TV. Like you yeah. didn't, you didn't know it was real. So like coming to a place where you see people achieving things they want to achieve is like a whole different experience. Nice. So who are some of the people that you've gotten to meet who you are seeing like make those achievements that you didn't recognize were possible when you were back in Massachusetts? Uh, Emma Wilman is is like just killing it right now. Emma Wilman, I knew her in Boston. And then when she moved out to New York, like, she was always getting up, like, three, four times a night. She would do – she just got passed at the Comedy Cellar, and she still does, like, an open mic before she goes to do her spot at the Cellar. And the fact that she just got on Colbert and she killed it, like, seeing people um, – every year I'm in New York, it feels like I know more and more people that become full-time comedians. Yeah. So, like, in Boston, it was cool because I, I knew people doing stand-up full-time, but that was all – it always depended on, like, getting, like, a VFW show or yeah. getting, like, a – uh, spaghetti supper night show. So like in New York, it's also it's like people making a living just doing like three club spots a night, getting on TV, and then going on the road eventually. So yeah. it's just like not that I mean the fact that being in Boston, like I should have stuck around longer because doing those VFW shows and because I'm doing those shows in New Hampshire, you get to do like an hour. Yeah. So I remember seeing like Sam J before she moved to LA. 
just destroy for like 45 minutes at a club in Boston because she was so used to doing those like one nighters. Yeah. So I guess like the like you want to have the best of both worlds, like doing those one nighters, but also like getting paid work at the clubs and getting on TV. So I don't know if I made any sense what I just said. I think I just did a big circle, you know. But no, that you you're seeing people become successful, and I loved seeing both Emma Woman and Sam J like as they are progressing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's a it's a cool time to be in comedy to, to see like people really making those moves. As long as every year is better than the last year, then you're on the right track, especially in New York. Like if you're doing more spots um, than you were last year, you're meeting more people. Then like, all right, keep keep chasing that, keep doing what you're doing. Mm. Is there anything that you think would make you say, all right, I'm done? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else I would be doing. Like, that's the thing is, like, hopefully um, if, uh, if I get to the point where I'm still temping at this place for the next, like, five years or something, if I'm still yeah. at the same company for, like, uh, another two or three years, I'm going to have to, like, switch things up. But then I'll just probably, hopefully I can go back to, like, working, get an assistant job in TV and still doing stand-up. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I think stand-up's always going to be there. And I, I see myself living in New York for, for a while. So I don't think I don't think anything uh, could happen that would stop me from doing it. I don't know. Knock on wood. There we go. <laughs> we got that on the mic. It's cool. <laughs> nice. It's cool. Uh, I do think about that because, like, when I was starting off, people were like, yeah, after three years, a bunch of people are going to drop off. And then after five years and then again after like seven years. So like just know like people you think are going to be with it forever are just going to stop doing it. So it's super weird now to like, all right, I don't think I will. But yeah, what are the things that would make someone yeah. just not do it anymore? I don't know. Some of the funniest people I met in Massachusetts back um Back when I was starting out in like high school and college, like they just quit and they were like the funniest people I knew, and I, I just don't know why. Yeah. I mean, some of them uh, started families and they're more committed to their family, but like I'm more inspired by comedians that like they have the family and then they still are out there every night doing stand up. Like that's so impressive. Yeah. Like I'm having a hard time just balancing a, a day job and stand up. Like I can't imagine having if they have a day job, a day job, a family, and stand up at the same time and still be hilarious. Yeah. Like it's it's so impressive. Um, like Sean Sullivan out in Boston and uh, James Goff, John Moses out here. Um, they're three people that I just look up to because they, they have like great families. Because yeah. that's the thing. It's like you can do stand up and have kids and just be like a terrible parent. But yeah. these those three especially, like they they seem like amazing parents and they're still like the funniest people around. It's, it's, it's impressive to accomplish that. Yeah, you are 26. So, yeah, like it would be very weird. Like I say that. There are people who I know who are like 24 and they're already married and like Disgusting. thinking, yeah, it's like Disgusting. What? what are you doing? Stop doing that. <laughs> Come on. Do you, in the town that you're from, is that a common sort of path? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think, I think normal people, like people that don't do stand up, like they look at their relationship sometimes as their passion, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, especially a lot of people I work with, like, um, they're, they're my age and they, um, they're starting to settle down with their, their, their boyfriend or girlfriend. But I think it's because, like, once they get off work, they dedicate most of their time to, like, that relationship. Yeah. It's the same thing with going to the gym and working out. Yeah. Like, people that don't, have, people that don't like, want to perform, they have they use that time to, like, invest in uh, becoming better people, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do realize that. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, how do these people have all this? Oh, they don't have a thing that, exactly. like, takes up every night of their They don't have another full-time job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Uh, but eventually I want to be able to find the balance between, like, I want to go out and have a social life. So it's, um, but most of the people that have, like, really good social lives are not dedicated to comedy or, mm. they, or they're already, like, making it in comedy. Yeah. Like, when you're in that in-between phase, you can't really have that much fun, I guess. It's, it's harder. You're working towards a goal. So tell me, do you remember the first time you stepped on stage? 
First time I stepped on stage was eighth grade talent show. Um, I did uh, I did three minutes of stand up stand up in quotes. Um, I I did a joke about Donald Trump back then, uh, oh. back when The Apprentice was popular. I did a George W. Bush joke, and uh, I guess it went well. I don't think I made any sense, um, but I think my friends just liked that I was up there uh, telling some jokes. I guess so, and um, yeah, that was my first time. And then I I would go do a a monthly open mic in East Hampton, Massachusetts. For Were you the youngest person there? Oh, yeah, 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 by far. Um, but I still, like, John Moses, I met him, um, like, 10 years ago in East Hampton at an open mic that we go to once a month. So it's weird when people ask you how long you've been doing comedy. Yeah. It's like, I did I did comedy once a month for a while. So yeah. it's like, uh, but I didn't start taking it seriously until I got to college. So it's like, I've been getting on stage for a long time, but yeah. I haven't put, I haven't put that much effort into it for, uh, only for, like, the past, like, six, seven years, I guess. I didn't start until I was older than you. And you're, already, you're already way more successful than me. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's all, it's all about like, it's quality over quantity. That's the thing. It's like it's, uh, you got to be out there, be funny, but also be social at the same time. People need to know who you are. So like, uh, if you're thinking about getting into comedy, like focus on the jokes, but also like don't leave right after you're set. Yeah, that's useful. That's useful. I asked uh, the question about your first time because like the first time I did stand up, I was like, oh, I want to do, do this all the time. Like this is... This is really important to me, but starting like your first time being so young, did you have that sort of sensation? Yeah, yeah, I um that immediately helped me get more friends in school, especially like people were friends with me just because they knew I was doing stand up. Like I was very quiet and shy, um, especially in high school. And then like people found out I was doing comedy like once or twice a month. They're like, oh, that's cool. But even though I wasn't funny in person, <laughs> like they just they just knew I was living this double life kind of thing. So it helped me uh, it helped me make more friends. So I'm like, yeah, I want to keep doing this. Nice. I, I always find that interesting. Like, people at my different jobs would not say that I was funny. Even my family, when they heard that I was, like, doing stand-up, they're like, oh, but you're not the funny sibling. Like, what's that about? So I do think it's interesting. Yeah, they, most of the comedians I know aren't, like, the funny guy outside of, like, doing stand-up. Yeah, my friends that don't do stand-up are, like, some of my friends that don't do stand-up are, like, ten times funnier than some of the comedians I know. It's yeah. just, like, but they don't have that itch to get on stage. It's, like, it's just a whole different part of your brain, I think, mm-hmm. um, that they that they probably use to, like, whatever they're obsessed with, you know, yeah. like, going to the gym or, like, maintaining a stable relationship or <laughs> starting a business or something like that. Yeah. Like, I think everyone has that passion project. It's just we choose to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, some of my friends back home, my high school friends are hilarious. They're just super funny. And, uh, but they have, that's the best thing is they don't care about tweeting a joke or yeah. face, putting up a Facebook test. They can just be funny and be funny without caring about who sees it. Mm-hmm. It's great. So wait, what part of New York city do you live in? I live in Brooklyn. I live in Sunset Park. Um, I've been there for about two years. I live with two other comedians and, uh, definitely the best living situation I've had. Like I live with a couple from Craigslist for like a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. And then I lived with another comic from Connecticut for like a year or so. And this this spot in Brooklyn is really nice. We have a washer and dryer in the basement what? for free. For free. I've been bragging about that. Yeah. But like people back home just have houses. So yeah. they, don't, they don't care. <laughs> but like in New York, having a washer dryer is, 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 is the most amazing feeling. Yeah. It's great. Just washing like one piece of clothes, you know, just one shirt. I'll wash yes. it. Sure. Yes. It's whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to stop me. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so, how, like, was it that you met these people from being here and then you guys decided to move in? How did that connection happen? And I'm asking completely selfishly because I'm trying to, like, find people to live with. Oh, you're, fi- you're fine roommates easily. I mean, if worse comes to worse, Craigslist, but there's so many comedians in New York that need roommates. Yeah. Um, 
I perform a lot at this place called the Grizzly Pear. It's mm -hmm. on uh, McDougal Street. It's uh, like a block away from the Comedy Cellar. Okay. And the Grizzly Pair is where everyone's just trying to get better at comedy, or most people are trying to get better at comedy. Some people are just uh, just trying to be delusional. You know, it's just, they're, they're not, I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> to shit on anybody. But uh, to my best friends, um, we did shows at the Grizzly Pair. It so happened that they had an extra spot in their apartment. Yeah. So I, um, I got that room. So it was just from hanging out with them at the Pair and um, doing shows with them. We started to talk more and became friends. And they asked if I want to move in with them, and it worked out. Really? And um, that's a great place to be if you're in New York and you try to like you're trying to make it out of stand up. Just keep working out at the Grizzly Pair. Like they do shows, do shows like three three times a night. Oh wow! And uh, it's crazy because you're like five. You're like a three minute walk from the Comedy Cellar, so like your whole life can change within three minutes. Yeah. Um, and I remember sometimes like I'll be there at Monday one o'clock in the morning. I'll, I'll hate it. Like there'll be two people in the audience and they don't speak English. Yeah. You go up there, you do like seven minutes, and you're miserable. But then you walk down the street, and like David tells outside smoking a cigarette yeah. at the comedy store, and you're like, oh, if David tells is still working on his act at one in the morning on a Monday. Why I need to I need to go do a two a.m. show, you know? <laughs> so it's a great place to meet meet comedians that are also like trying to work their way up. It's mm -hmm. a it's a really good spot. Uh, and why did you choose Brooklyn over Queens or Manhattan, based on the fact that like a lot of the shows that you're mentioning take place in Manhattan? Um, it really just was because my roommates were like they had the apartment. Um, I wanna. I always thought about living in Astoria because a lot of comedians live up there and they got a uh, QEDs over there. It's a cool venue. Um, one day I want to live in Manhattan. It's just too expensive. Yeah. Like there's there's a lot of like really nice apartments around like Greenwich Village that like used to be affordable. Like back in the day, uh, John Stewart used to live on like McDougal Street or Bleecker Street, and he would like be a busboy at a restaurant next to the Comedy Cellar. Yeah, so he would he would be a busboy at this place called Panchitos, and then he'd walk to the comedy store, do a spot, and then he'd just walk home. And his whole life was like within Greenwich Village, and yeah. it's like to be able to do that now, you have to be like a millionaire. It's yeah. just insane. But um, one day, you can like hopefully try to afford like a small small apartment down there <laughs> yeah. or something like that. But Brooklyn's where it's at for now. You know, it's nice. Got that washer dryer. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a really big plus. Yeah, I think. Oh, that's so interesting. Like you've been here, so you've been here for four years. Mm -hmm. Uh, how have like rents changed? How have like neighborhoods changed since you've been in New York? Um, and my neighborhood now is definitely starting to be a little bit more white people out there. Like okay. I feel like uh, I feel like I might have hurt the neighborhood. <laughs> I saw a white dude in overalls waiting for the train one day, and I'm like, he had like sunglasses and overalls on. I'm like, that's come on, man. You gotta <laughs> show a little respect for the neighborhood. Don't don't be don't be flashing your overalls out here. Yeah. Um, but I, I, um, I realized that like my last apartment in Queens, me and my buddy moved in there and we, we basically, us moving in, I kicked out like a family. Oh, like okay, it was yeah. a, it was like a mom and her two adult sons. Like mm. they split the living room yeah. and it kind of, I didn't realize it at first, but like uh, two months into us living there, I felt really bad. Cause like we, I guess they, um, they jacked up the rent on them and like oh. we, we just so happened to squeak by and be able to afford it. Yeah, yeah. So it sucks because like everyone keeps getting priced out of their apartment. So eventually like I know. Uh, we just re-signed the lease at my apartment now, but I know like two years from now we won't be able to afford it. Like it's yeah. just gonna be more and more expensive. They're already they're building high rises in my neighborhood now, so it's just like trying to wait it out for as long as possible. But yeah. then like gonna live in Coney Island eventually, probably. <laughs> like it's just getting pushed farther and farther out of. How place. how far is Coney Island like by train? Oh, it's deep. It's deep, deep, deep. It's I've like uh, it's gotta be over an hour, mm. over hour fifteen maybe. Jeez. 
and it's sketchy out there during, like, the fall. Like, if it's if summertime at Coney Island, is kind of cool, but, like, any other season, it's the sketchiest place because there's nobody out there. It's oh, just yeah. deserted, and it's like uh, it's like the Warriors that movie. <laughs> it's just so creepy. <laughs> I'll, I'll, then I'll wait. It's already wait October. I'll, I'll wait until the spring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could probably find a cheap apartment out there because no one, no one wants to live out there. So you also spent time in Boston. How have you seen Boston change? It's like since you now go back to do your show, like what feels different about the city? Um, Boston, as far as the comedy scene is, I feel like there's a lot more comedians doing their own things out there. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if it was just me not being social enough, but now it's, um, it seems like a lot of comedians have their own bar shows. Yeah. And they're like awesome, awesome bar shows. Like some bar shows in New York are like terrible. Some are some are amazing, mm-hmm. um, but it all depends on like how well they promote it. But there's some shows in Boston that just have like great um, credibility behind them, and that wasn't the case when I was out there. Um, so it's, it's cool to see people trying to do their own thing and create their own stage time. Because I remember um, when I was I went to school in Easton, Massachusetts. So it was like a 20 minute drive into the city, mm-hmm. and it was hard to do more than one spot in one night. But now, like, the show I do at Gallery 263, like, I know a lot of people do Mendoza afterwards. Yeah. So the fact that you could do two or three spots in Boston is, like, really, really impressive now. And it's, it's helping you get stronger. So, like, so when you do want to make the move to New York, you already have the experience of doing multiple sets a night. Yeah. So it's, it's really cool. Nice. So what shows either would you like to do in Boston or, like, would you like to see be created in Boston? Maybe there's some sort of, like... Uh, analogous show here where you're like oh that'd be great in the boston scene um i think it's great because like um knitting factory is a great show in brooklyn that i'm still trying to get on like that's an amazing show with a lot of hype behind it but i think a show like mendoza is also like on that level it's a smaller environment Mm -hmm. but it still has like buzz behind it so like the fact that they're doing that is is amazing so like there's great bar shows in in boston and in brooklyn and in manhattan I want to selfishly, I want to do the Majestic Theater, Emerson's Majestic Theater. Oh, yeah. I want to I want to sell that place out. Nice. Or or the Wilbur or the Majestic. <laughs> I want to do either one like within the next 2 years. Yeah. And that's like um there's a there's a theater in Northampton called the Calvin Theater like in Western Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So like once I get done with these 15 shows, I want to like look into like renting one of those places out for a night. Yeah. And uh and just like using what I learned from promoting these shows to like help just a one-nighter, you know. Yeah just to see like your name on the marquee and to stand on that stage and be like, oh, I'm, I'm about to do an hour in front yeah. of this theater. It'd be insane. That would be, yeah, that's, that's huge. Yeah. Nice. Goals, you gotta have goals. You do. <laughs> Even if goals. they're ridiculous, you gotta have them. I, yeah. I value goals immensely. I think it's so important. Otherwise, like, what are you working towards? Like, just generally working? It feels like, yeah, you gotta have some particular aim in mind. Absolutely, you gotta, cause that'll, that'll keep you motivated, especially if it has a deadline. Like, yeah. the fact that I, I knew my first show for Under St. Mark's was going to be November 10th. I've known that for, like, a few months now. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm working towards that deadline. If I if I said, like, oh, I want to rent out a theater and I didn't actually do it, then I'd just be, like, this could be, like, five years from now. Yeah. And I'll still be trying to, like, figure out how to do it. So right. it's just, like, making it happen. Give yourself that deadline and keep working towards it. Nice. And if, if it works out, it works out. But if it, if it doesn't, at least you still did it, you know. Yeah. You still you still have that. Uh, you still know you can make it happen somehow. Yeah. yeah. But this is going to work out. Yeah. I'm going to sell some tickets. MikeLummy.com, $5 tickets. Check it out. <laughs> Shameless plug. Going to do it. Well, you're not a podcast. It's where you talk uh, about what you do. It makes sense. Uh, so one thing that I ask everyone, uh, 
what's something that people would be surprised to find out about you or like a secret that you haven't told anybody? Oh man, what is something people would be surprised to find out about me? Huh. How long does it take for people to answer this question? Do they usually come out right away and say something? Uh, it depends on the person. Some people, like, they are quick with it, and it's, like, a super dark thing. And they're like, Jesus Christ, you've been holding that in. But, like, other people, yeah, they've got to think about it. And, like, it kind of develops more specifically as they're answering it. So, yeah, feel free to take your time. Um, if you want to see some dark shit, you got to come to Under St. Mark's for those 15 <laughs> shows. That's, that's where the darkest stuff come out. Okay. Um, but a thing about me that I'm trying to work on is I have not been in a serious relationship. I've never been in a relationship. I was in uh, I was dating someone for like a month in eighth grade. That was about it. <laughs> so um, the past like, I don't know, the past couple of years, I've just been like um, – going out and meeting people and, and whatever, but it, it, it hasn't, like, it hasn't, like, uh, sustained. Like, I haven't been in a relationship mm-hmm. ever, so I don't even know how people deal with that. Right. So, like, I'm, the fact that people, like, the amount of time I'm dedicating to comedy, to imagine dedicating that much time to a relationship just doesn't seem mm-hmm. feasible. So yeah. it's, like, uh, that's something I want to accomplish at some point, like, uh, trying, to, trying to fall in love and get in a relationship. I've been single for too long, you know? i got to switch it up. Yeah, so, like, when you go on dates, what's your experience like normally? Dating is good. Like I, I go on a good amount of dates. Um, sometimes I get too attached too quickly because mm-hmm. I, I know I want to like eventually be yeah. in a relationship. So like part of the show, part part of the show, um, the the fifteen shows I'm doing, like part of us talking about this eighteen hours I spent with this amazing woman, and like we didn't even hook up. We were just like hanging out, and yeah. I like fell in love with her after eighteen <laughs> hours, which is ridiculous. But it was eight, it was eighteen hours in a row. Okay, yeah. it, was, it was like I, I was binge watching her, you know. Yeah. Um, so, um, I find myself getting attached too quickly or I kind of like lose interest too fast. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm trying to be able to live in the moment and just experience like a date for what it is, like not, not getting too many expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's hard to like meet people when you're not like, if they don't, if they see you do comedy and it goes well, that's so, it's like, it's (laughs) like, all right, this is, this is perfect. But like, um, going on a date with someone who doesn't know anything about you and then like having to explain this ridiculous goals, they, these ridiculous goals is like very difficult. Mm-hmm. So, um, dating's fun, but I got to like lower my expectations every time. Just, just have fun, you know, live in the moment. Right. Have you ever dated a comedian? Um, I've, uh, I've hooked up with, uh, hooked up <laughs> with comedians and I've, I've hooked up with people I work with and, uh. At your temp job? Uh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Does not go well. Does okay. not does not go <laughs> okay. well. It's um it's weird having to see people every single day, and uh, especially if it doesn't, if, especially if the um like if you're both happy, it's great. But if if it, if it, if if you mess it up, then it's gonna be very very uncomfortable. So yeah. like I've I've messed up a lot of uh, relationships. <laughs> I'm revealing way too much. It's getting dark. Um, but uh, I try not to hook up with people I uh, I work with yeah. because it just gets messy. And, uh, but it sucks because they, they know everything about you. Like they know what you're dealing with. So like yeah. you want to, you want to like, I would, uh, there's, there's a few like comedians I would love to date, but it's just, uh, it would be too competitive, you know? Yeah. Like everyone's like, you want to see, oh, their joke's funnier than mine, blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. not, it doesn't seem healthy. There's some people that make it work, but it's, it seems like it's very, very hard to, to do that. Yeah. There are some like comedian couples in Boston, uh, but it is interesting to see, like, some people say, like, never do this, and then some people say, eh, it doesn't matter, but everyone has issues with yeah. it. I think if you're both successful at comedy, then it's, then it's perfect. Like, if you're both making a living off comedy, then it's great, but if you're, if you're still just starting out and trying to, like, make a name for yourself, mm-hmm. if you're both in that level, like, it's got to be so frustrating, mm-hmm. like, because the fact is, like, when you're doing stamp, you want to you wanna prevent yourself from, being, from, like, being bitter and angry, mm-hmm. but if the person you're dating is, like, 
more successful than you, then like it's hard not to get bitter because you're around them every single day. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I don't know how people deal with that. I have dated air quotes comedians, uh, but I don't. I think I'm dating people with whom. I am not in the same uh, competition ring. So like, we're not at the same level, we're not competing for the same things. So my jealousy, like I, it just isn't directed at them because like, oh, they've either been doing it for so much longer and like, of course they would be getting these things that I don't have because they've been doing it for so long or like they have not been doing it for very long at all. Uh, so I think in addition to like, both being very successful it helps if you guys are clearly in different like almost like weight classes as far as boxing no that's the, that's the i think that's a great way to do it i'm just like i'm just such a weirdo that i'm paranoid about like getting talked about on a podcast or something like, like I'm so, but that's the thing it's like i'm so bad at relationships mm. and like and and sex but to be to be completely <laughs> clear that like i don't need like uh someone to tag me in a post on Facebook or like talk about yeah, me yeah. on a podcast. Like, I'm just like, Oh, it's just too, <laughs> it's just too, too much. Cause you put, you put so much time and effort into comedy that like, yeah. um, that you don't want just something, something stupid and like silly to like ruin, uh, to damage your credibility. Obviously yeah, yeah. like it's just all about respecting everybody, but like, you don't want to, I don't want like, if I'm going to talk about how bad I am in bed on stage, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it. You know, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to have, some, I'm not gonna have someone else talk about it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do that five minutes and I'm going to get the, uh, I'm going to get the, uh, the value out of it. No one else is going to do it. I, uh, someone I hooked up with, uh, said that they were going to write a pilot about our experience together. Oh I'm like, God. I was like, hey, you know what, if you, if you do that, you got to give me a, a writing credit yeah. on it. You know, you got to give me something like that. But it's just like, I don't want to, you know, I want to stay away from that for a while. Right. <laughs> what is, uh, for, for the female non-comedians listening, what is your ideal first date? Uh, my ideal first date is, um, like I want, just no pressure situation, maybe just go get coffee. Um, uh, check out a new place in the city that we haven't been to. Walk around the park, or go see uh, go see music, or something like that. Like I want to be able to. Um, perfect first day is if you can talk to somebody. Like I don't like going to the movies on a first day because you can't talk to them. Right. And um, first day where you just know like um, you know that we're hanging out because we're interested in each other. We're not hanging out because we want to be friends with each other. I hate yeah. that. I hate that. Like that's confusing. It's very confusing. Like if you're texting someone for a month and then like you hang out with them and they're like, oh, I thought we we're hanging out as friends. I'm like, no, that's not. <laughs> no, that's, that's just weird. So like it has to be on the table. Like you guys are both interested in each other and yeah. just like no pressure, hang out, something, uh, not a fancy bar in New York City that costs a million dollars to go to. Is that Does that add pressure, do you think? Uh, what the the price of drinks? Uh, yeah, like, like a super fancy environment sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, especially when you're broke. It's like, I can afford maybe one, like buying one drink um, for each of us, and then like if they buy the next round, that's great. And um, but yeah, it's just like you can't have too high of expectations, like the amount of money you're gonna spend on the first date. You know, yeah. if especially if we're both broke. Yeah. Just take it easy. A lot of conversation and uh, just have fun, I guess. I found museums are good. Museum. Yeah, because it's cheap. You walk around. You constantly are getting new stimuli to respond to. So you can like, oh, this reminds me of this thing. So it gives you like an opportunity to showcase stories or like, oh, if you have knowledge about whatever the topic of the museum is, you can talk about that. But yeah, it's uh, it's also a lot of museums are free. And you can tell how bad their opinions are like right away. You're yeah. like, oh, no, this, this isn't gonna work out. Yeah. You just see one paint and you're like, oh, this date's over. You know? <laughs> That's great. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Oh, yeah. there's um, 
I like checking out off off Broadway or off Broadway plays. Like there's a great play, uh, playwright called Annie Baker, and uh, she's really inspiring too. Like I uh, I went to see her her uh, play called The Flick, and it's all about these people that work in a movie theater in, in a small town in Massachusetts. Oh nice! And it's, it all takes place like the 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 scenery is a empty theater, and like you're watching them clean up. Yeah yeah. And it's all about the relationships and the dialogue. So it's all about writing uh, the the character development. It's, yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. That's a cool thing you see in New York is just, like, playwrights, like, writing new things. That's really cool. I hope, yeah, when I get here, I would like to, A, go to all the museums, and B, like, see more plays and just other forms of creative expression. Yeah, this is the place to be, place to do it. Place to do it. All right, and then wrapping up, because we're coming up on the hour, uh, what are some things that you miss about Boston, and what are some things that, if you were to leave New York, you would miss about it? Um, some of the things I miss about Boston are definitely uh, my friends from college. I get to see them once a month, but still I wish I uh, got to hang out with them more. Um, something I miss, what else do I miss about Boston? Um, I never actually got the chance to live in Boston. Like I was always driving in or taking the train in. So I wish I could like um, live there for a month and just see like what it's like to do spots without having to drive in every night. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, if I left New York, I would miss everything about the city. Like the city just gives you constant stories every single day. There's so many creative people out here. Um, there's so much history to the city of people that are achieving things in entertainment that you want to achieve. Um, it's just, it's just amazing. Like when I, like I'm going to see Mark Marion at Carnegie Hall, like coming up and like just to be in that building with a sold out crowd, watching someone do stand up. it's just like, you know, one day maybe I can do that. You know, yeah. the inspiration, you don't, you don't get that at the uh, at City Hall in Springfield, Massachusetts, yeah. you know? Like, it's not, the, I mean, it's, it's a cool experience, but, like, just being in New York and achieving that thing, it's like, you, you're going to miss out on it. And, um, yeah, if I wasn't doing comedy, I'd probably move to, like, New Mexico or something like that. Why? <laughs> just to, just to ju- get off the map. You know, you okay. just want if, if to, if I quit comedy, you're never going to hear from me again. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm deleting Facebook, I'm deleting Twitter, Jesus. all that, I'm gone. You're never going to see me again if I quit comedy. Wow. All right. Guys, you heard it here. Let's hope he never quits comedy so that you can see that he exists as a person. Okay. Any final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts is I, I wish I didn't talk about uh, hooking up with my coworkers and other comedians, but I didn't name names. Yeah, didn't name I didn't name names. names. Listen, all you need to know, I'm a mess. You know, I'm a mess, but I'm working to get better, and I'm working to get better by renting out the Under St. Mark's Theater for 15 nights, getting over these mommy issues. I'm doing an hour show all about a, it's like a love letter to New York City and also an apology to my parents. Every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, from November 10th to December 4th, there's a different musical guest every single night. So if you don't like my comedy, there's great music. Uh, it's $5. Go to MikeLummy.com for tickets. And I want to thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest. Guys, this has been Person About Town. The town this time is New York City. And thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.